This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. This has been a really special time this summer. If I know a lot of people go on vacations, you're out different reasons. Um, I was was gone for part of the summer, and uh, but during that time, every time that I got to either be here or listen back to a sermon that was spoken, um, there's just this amazing. Uh, love for Jesus in, in our congregation, some amazingly gifted people and teachers. Amen. And so when I come up here to share, which happens to be maybe about once a year, so forgive any nerves or any part of that, you know, that happens. But it's like uh, the way that we've been going through Philippians has been really special. Um, if you think about, like if I took a, this prism, you know, this like crystal, I'm hold it up right here in front of you guys, we get this light, natural light, or I have a, a different light kind of shine into this, and we're all looking at this thing, and I started to explain to you what I was seeing, and we were all agreeing on the beauty of what was in front of us, right, yeah. and these different light rays are kind of ref- uh, uh reflecting out of that and we're both seeing it and I'm like do you see the red do you see the purple do you see that cut that was intentionally put there by the person who designed this and you're like yeah yeah I see that but I also see this and we're kind of bouncing those ideas off of each other that's how Philippians is felt to me like we get to hear from Pastor Aaron Pastor Wayne Pastor John from from Jenga from Anthony from Melissa the each week was like getting to go to the best Bible study ever because as we're all studying this, we're all kind of seeing these different parts of the same solid truth. The, the, the prism didn't change, but the way that we see it and the, depending on the positioning that we're at in our lives and where we're at, we get to see a much more full display of who Jesus is in, in this text. And so that's been really special. So if you... Uh, haven't you can go back and listen to a lot of these things but what I want to do to start is um, oh if you haven't opened yet to Philippians please do um, chapter 4 and get to 6 to 9 and then we're going to stand together as we read this because we stand to remember that these are not the words that I'm going to be kind of illuminating on but these are that solid prism this is the part that this is God's word, okay? Let's read this together. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, 
think about these things. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. You can be seated. But keep that open for a second. And I want you to, everybody in the room, go to verse 8. And I want you to look at the list that's there. A list of thoughts for meditation. And I want you to pick one of those things. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy. Just one. And we're going to do something that's a little bit awkward. Uh, because it's awkward for a group setting, generally, to sit in silence. But I'm going to stop talking. I'm going to start a timer for two minutes. And I want you to take the one word. I want to, you to center your affection to it. If your mind wanders, draw your, your affections back through that word. And I just want you to take that word, and I'm going to run it for, for two minutes. So any one of those words, everybody have your word? Just one. So besides that being a good trick when you don't preach a lot to fill time, <laughs> the word that I had um, chosen was the word lovely. Now, if you're like me, 
than any number of thoughts if you had chosen the word lovely. The number, any number of thoughts could have gone through your mind in that two-minute period of time. Think things like, you thought maybe about an object that you think is lovely, a flower, um, a place. Your mind went to a lovely experience you had. You thought about something or someone else, uh, something that someone else did for you, and that actually just now happened as I'm thinking about the way that I experienced the love of God through people over the last several weeks as Christy's been recovering from surgery, the family of God bringing food and the conversations that we've been able to have with different folks. Um, You thought about something or uh, someone else did, and then you thought, why is this taking so long? You thought about the person next to you, then you thought, this is not the right environment to be doing this. Then you thought, this is really weird. Um, Then you wondered if you were actually doing it right, (laughs) some of us. Maybe you thought about Jesus after that. Then you thought about legitimate big struggles you have going on in your life. Maybe like, where am I going to live tomorrow? You thought about your court case. You thought, how will I provide for my family? You thought about death. You thought about a fight that you're in. You thought about health or the health of someone that you love. You thought about loss. You thought, now I'm sure I'm not doing this right. Then you thought, I should be thinking about something churchy right now. But you probably thought any of those things in any number of order, any way, hundreds of times, really quickly. Our minds work uh, super fast. And then just the fact that this text starts with the words, do not be anxious, made you anxious. Because you're filtering it through how it applies to you. And you're looking at your life and the circumstances of your life and just the idea that I said don't be anxious and your life's reality doesn't line up with that, it made you anxious. And then it made you anxious because the Bible says don't be anxious, so I'm already failing at not being anxious. And when we come to verses like this, especially when trying to teach them, it's easy for us or for me especially, to attempt to turn it into a formula, a math equation, to get the good points laid out. And so my equation would have been something like, um, are you anxious? Here's how you stop being anxious. Pray plus beg plus be thankful equals his peace will guard you and no more anxious. And somehow that becomes, I'm not anxious but real things, uh, I'm not anxious about real things, so, or sorry, that somehow becomes I am anxious about real things, so I'm going to pray hard and I'm going to beg for the right circumstances, and then I'm going to say thank you and the problems in my life will get better and I won't be anxious anymore. But Paul is saying something much richer much better than that. But it still leaves me 
trying to package it. When what Paul was calling them to was actually meditation, demonstration, and abiding. Right thinking, right activity, and faith. Which is hearing and doing the word of God. So my verses that I was given to talk about were actually Philippians 4, 8, and 9. But I wanted to start it back back at verse 6 and 7 because they follow a a similar cadence, a similar pattern, and they're kind of linking together. So we're going to start with 6 and 7 again. I'm going to read those one more time. He says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When I read these verses, the first thing that I imagine is a monk in a far-off place, beautiful place, living in a monastery. He's writing these words in isolation. No job. No worries. No kids. Just... Just the food he has to eat for the day. Silence. Beauty. Mm. But what we have to understand is that Paul, at this time as he's writing this, the context matters greatly. He was under house arrest. And completely reliant on the support of the church. A church that obviously had some divisions going on, as we heard Pastor Wayne and Melissa talk about last week, and we got to that. There's some fighting going on. There's some bad talking about Paul going on at the church back in Philippi, and he's sitting there in prison, and these are the words that come from his mouth. The final thoughts as he's coming to the end of this letter. And then the things that you have to like put into perspective, think about this, the stuff that he had already faced. Yeah. He'd faced brutal beatings. Mm. Right now he's in house arrest, but that, before that he was in a prison situation that's going to sound familiar in description to things that we think are inhumane and gross, overcrowded cells, malnourishment, not enough food, it's dark, it's pitch black at night because they don't have lighting, they blow out all the candles for a certain amount of time, the sensory deprivation, he had been chained, it was hard to sleep because it was so full, they didn't give them beds. This changes the words. Because it means they were not based on what Paul was going through. The circumstances didn't matter in what he was saying. If you look at verse 7, it was rooted in who God is. The character of God. See, don't be anxious was not a command for the church to pass or fail. Right? We like to hear these things, right? Do not fear. 
do not be anxious. You see, if you're anxious, you're sinning. Or do not fear. If you're fearful, you're sinning. This isn't what Paul was talking about. It was to be viewed in the context of the character of who God is. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He's saying this, because of who He is, carry your anxieties to God in prayer with pleading and with thanksgiving because His peace will guard your heart and your mind. Then he goes on to verse 8 and 9 where he says, Finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You see, verse 6 and 7, he says, don't worry, God has you. And then in verse 8 and 9, he says, focus on these things, God has you. These words are beautiful, right? Especially that verse 8, man. I love hearing these words. I love hearing these words. But then I found out that this was the text I was going to get the opportunity to speak on about three months ago. So I've spent the last three months meditating daily on these things, right? And if you start to think deeply about any one of those things, maybe actually in the first two minutes you probably realized this, that these words describe something but don't give anything for us to actually focus on. It leaves you saying, what is true? What is honorable? What is just? These words are called abstractions. Um, You can't just think about the word. They're intended to get you to think about something else. And we use these words to assign value that describes something much bigger than what you're actually talking about. So, for example, we could take a rose and say it's lovely and it's beautiful and we can all agree on that, or some of us may not. But for the most part, culture... And societies around the world have taken flowers and said these things are beautiful, right? But if I handed it to my daughter and she started pulling one petal off at a time, or you gave it to a scientist to begin dissecting it to find its value and worth, you would get to the bottom and you would not find beauty. Beauty was the whole of what it was. So when Paul is saying to us, think about what is lovely, which is also other translations will use the word beautiful, 
The idea of beauty. Think about what is beautiful. We get to it and we go, oh, I'm going to think about beautiful things. Man, this is going to be awesome. And then we're like, what actually is beautiful? Do I determine what beautiful is? Do I get to determine what's true and right and good and pure and honorable and worthy of praise? What Paul is saying is bigger. He's talking about something that was experienced by him and felt by him. For Paul, it was not a what you should be thinking about, but a who and everything connected with him. You see, in Scripture, Jesus is the fulfillment of all of these things, right? True. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Honorable, a synonym, a synonym for honorable is righteous. Jesus is righteous in Romans chapter 3. And also in Romans chapter 3, just. Jesus is just. Lovely. God is love. 1 John 4, 7. Commendable. Excellence. Praiseworthy. Psalms 145, all of those things encapsulated in God. But this is where it's getting crazy for me. Where it started to blow my mind is he doesn't stop with that. Is not only is Jesus, by definition, the fulfillment of these things, he makes those things true to us and in us. He invites us to experience each of these things through his son, Jesus. Jesus is truth, but his spirit reveals truth to us. Jesus is righteous, and he is our righteousness, making us right with God. Jesus is just and he is our justification. Jesus is pure and he purifies me. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God is love and he pours his love in us that we can love others. 1 John 4, 7 through 16. So when Paul says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. He's not not talking about it as deep thought or as an abstraction. He's talking about it as an actual event that he experienced, that he lived, that he felt, that he knew was real. And then he says, now go and practice these things. What I've experienced and you've seen in me and I've talked about it and I've lived it in front of you, go live this way. When people are talking bad about you and there's arguments going on inside of the church, people have been talking bad about me and there's 
arguments going on about me and I'm over here in prison. I've lived it a certain way as long as the gospel's going forth. I don't have to be anxious about it. We can take our anxieties based on our very real circumstances, based on our present reality, before a God of peace who protects our hearts and our minds. Not only does this God guard your heart and your mind, His character is true, His character is right and just and pure, and you know this because you've seen it. You've experienced it. You've seen it in my life. I've seen it in your life. To really do this justice, we not only have to have individual meditation, we have to have corporate meditation on Jesus through things like worship when we throw words up there and we go, he's adopted me. He's adopted us. We're that family. Meditate on these things. It's easy to just go through the rituals. It's easy to go through the liturgies, right? We get in our repetition, but the liturgies were meditations for us. They're put in place so that we can be reminded because we forget so quickly through things like communion, which we're going to do together. Because these things cannot just be explained. They're taught, then they're heard and seen and practiced. And the God of peace then is not an abstract idea, right? The peace of God, this abstract idea, becomes the God of peace who then dwells with. Come on. Come on. Why does it matter? It matters because what we believe about each of these words shapes the way that we live our lives. It matters Because these are not merely thoughts. They're experienced and it requires a display people for us to experience. A few weeks back, Jenga talked about our citizenship. When we sing about the the family, he talks about that. And our identity as family And citizens changes everything because we can see the brokenness of the world and enter the suffering of others without having to resolve things. This is the most arduous part about social justice work and the thing that separates the believer from a social justice warrior. We get frustrated, overwhelmed, so much anxiety about serving and loving other people because it never stops. And it won't stop until Jesus comes back and makes everything right. But creation echoes the intent of God, which is when he created everything, he said, everything I made is good, right? Creation echoes good in 
light and space and plants and water and animals and people, the image bearers of God. He said, it's not good, though, that we should be alone. That separation is not good. And it's something that he actually remedied after the fall. God then promised to come and make everything right. But until that time, he chose a people to display what is good, what is pure, what is honorable, what is just, what is lovely, what is commendable. And he gave us his spirit so that we could display that. And so today, I want you to think about this. There's a family of God that's in this room. Some of you faithfully, we know each other deeply. And these words, man, I was talking so much to my mom and dad about this as as I was preparing for it. And after three months of meditating on this, I get so frustrated by the excitement and passion that this has sparked in me and knowing that I can't communicate fully what I've experienced. And the only hope that I have today is that some of what you see in me, the excitement sparks excitement in you, right? If this is your first time. But the other beautiful thing is if we live in community together and we hear week in, week out, each person's excitement being declared from the stage in the gospel message, the culmination of all of that. As family, we get to see these, these glimpses of pure and, and honorable and right and true living. And when we get to do things together, like inviting the asylum seekers into our space, and we get to declare the gospel knowing that this does not resolve their situations. But don't be anxious about that because we're painting a picture of what they get to hope for in eternity with Christ. But not only that, as believers together, as many of them are, and come in and sit with us, we get to see glimpses of Jesus in them, in their faithfulness and endurance, endurance in suffering and pain and anguish. And so today, as we walk up here together, to take of the body and the blood of Jesus. This is a meditation. It's a picture that we're painting. It's not only an individual meditation, but a corporate meditation for us to sit and dwell on the good and true and lovely and beautiful work of Jesus that radically transforms our hearts and our minds that we get to see in each other, in the way that we love each other, in the way that we serve each other, in the way that we display it to the world around us. We're a part, and these meditations come alive. And with that thought, I want you to think in closing on this as we come to take communion together. I was able to travel to Europe and it was for this just a work trip, but we got to 17 years of marriage. We're like, I'm going to piggyback off this thing. We're going to 
go do something I've never done. And, and we got to go to France and see a palace that was there. And it's a famous palace, um, but I don't study a lot of geography, so I wouldn't have like even, it's like, oh yeah, Versailles, cool. I'll go to Versailles. But my friends had to tell me about Versailles. But some of you guys know what I'm talking about, and you've gone, uh, or you've seen it on TV, maybe you've never been there, and you know this place, and it is stunning. Uh, and I've seen palaces on TV, right? We, we all see these palaces in great old, you like period pieces, like movies? I love that. Choose it over any, any reality, like current reality. I love period pieces. But you walk in to these room after room after room, and you're going through, and there's like wallpaper in that time was cloth. So there's these this wallpaper that you can run your hand on and feel the the felt or the velvet like embellishments on it and there's wood craftsmanship all over the place painted gold jewels paintings on top of the the fabric murals on the ceilings in the same like this is all one room right and you're just looking at it and you're going do you see this like I'm talking to Christy do you see this is in, and she goes, yeah, but do you see this? And we're both like enamored with the same thing. And I come back and a lot of people knew that I went and they're like, how was your time? And you start to explaining this stuff then, then about how we went out into the garden, right? And, I'm, and we're like, a garden, beautiful, stunning garden. You get, I, can, I can only imagine that, right? We all say, this garden is three square miles, right? Paths. When you see kings like riding their horses and chasing like foxes for hunting, they were doing that in their personal gardens, right? You get, you walk around a corner and there's groves that open up to one individual marble statue standing there with, with, uh, that had take, took 12 years to carve, right? And you're sitting there marveling at this stunning, stunning place. And every time I tell these stories, I'm watching people's expressions and I'm getting so frustrated because you're like, cool, bro. I'm like, no, you don't understand. It's not cool. And the only way I know that you'll be able to experience what I experienced is by getting there in front of it and being overwhelmed and feeling out of place like hey, do they know they should be kicking me out of here right now because this is crazy and I do not fit in. And I, it's like I snuck into this place and I don't fit here. And the thing I want to do with this sermon is like to get you all on a jet and fly you to that experience, right? I want each of us to be able to experience the work of Jesus in us so much that when I talk about this, it's associated. When I say lovely, it's associated to something that you've experienced in Christ. That you're going, yes, he is lovely. When you pick up this communion cup, you go, Jesus, you are pure and you made me pure. You are just and you've justified me.
So let's begin our meditation together. Remember the music that we're singing and the music that's being played points us to something bigger. It points us to something beautiful. The cup we pick up points us to something bigger and something beautiful. The words we project draw our affections and our minds. The fact that we have to lift our heads to see those words draw us up. Let's pray. Jesus, may we experience you today and catch glimpses of the fullness of who you are, knowing that you've already completed a work, but your work's not done yet. And we have a massive hope that if we can get our minds and our hearts attuned to it, will transform the way that we live. We'll live grateful lives. We'll live humble lives in awe, in awe. And when in Acts 2 it says, awe fell upon all the people, let that happen in Redemption Church. Let awe fall upon all the, the people. We never get used to the splendor of your palace. We never get used to the beauty of your garden. And that we would use your character as a filter for our circumstances. You are beautiful, Jesus. Let the world see us taking communion from every background, from every gender, from every walk of life, from every age bracket, and marvel and hope in a restored eternity with you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com.